Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, mantenganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I wanted to talk about a couple of personal experiences I had in the Disney space that I think are kind of fun and tell you a little story about those because I had a little fun and some interesting things happened. So let me, let me tell you about those. And then toward the end of the podcast, I've got a couple of other news-related items that I wanted to share with you. On today's podcast, I wanted to tell you a little story, and it's actually two little stories. The first was about something that happened at work the other day. There was a uh, trivia contest going on. They do these at work every so often. And I didn't know what the trivia topic was going to be, but I like going to the trivia contests anyway because they're always a lot of fun. Just sit there and have a little fun, talk about whatever nonsensical trivial there is, and have a little fun with your coworkers and just goof around for an hour. It's an hour out of work, basically. It's like a little vacation. So this month's topic happened to be Disney animation. And I'm like, dude. And I looked at everybody in the room and I go, I- I'm winning this. I don't know. Yeah, you're, you're all playing for second. And of course, I won. There was, uh, I think it was 20 questions. I think I got two wrong. And it was just one of those things. And everybody's going, well, you've got kids. That makes sense. I'm like, yeah, that's the reason. Sure. Just keep telling yourself that. Um, it was really funny because, the, you know, the questions, some of them were pretty straightforward and some of them were a little obscure. It was a, not a central character in one of the animated movies or one of the Pixar films. And a couple of times it was finished the line to this song in one of the animated films. And not only would I finish the line to the song, I'd sing it. Now, I'm not the greatest singer in the world. I don't have the greatest voice for singing, but I'd finish it anyway. <laughs> it's really funny. Um, you know, it was like, uh, you know, if, I think one of them was from Beauty and the Beast. It was, uh, it was uh, uh, that bell, the bell song where she, uh, you know, it's like, um, she's very different from the rest of us. That bell, you know, some, there was some line in there and I just started going, she's very different from the rest of us. She's bell. It was just, oh, it was so funny. And everybody's just laughing at me or with me. I'm not sure. I'll go with myth, with me. But it was really a lot of fun. So I guess, you know, sometimes that geeky Disney knowledge pays off. I won the trivia contest, you know, won, won the kudos and the admiration of my peers. So that's always a good thing. It's just fun that way. Um, so, you know, again, I got a couple of extra bucks that I can use on my next Disney trip. So it's not a bad thing. It was just one of those funny things that just happens in life sometimes that, you know, you, you have things happen and you go, hey, how did that work out? Oh, wow, it's Disney animation? No problem. I got you covered. So... Uh, yours truly has uh, won another trivia contest related to Disney. I'm telling you, don't take me on in that space. I'm going to win. That's all there is to it. Now, the second part of my podcast here, the main thing I wanted to talk about was uh, something that happened a few days later. I was at, a, at an event at my daughter's school. Now, the thing about Florida residents, uh, as kids are little, a lot of people love Disney and they take their kids there and they like to go and they like to experience it and they just enjoy it. And uh, you do weekend trips or whatever, a day trip, you know, you do that kind of a thing if you live in Florida. And uh, with Disney's ticket prices changing and with, you know, all the kids that I know aging more, 
Disney has not become as prevalent with a lot of the kids. You know, people still think of Disney as a little kid park and um, like Universal as being a grown-up park. And I think that's part of what Disney's trying to overcome with some of the things they're doing and putting in more thrill rides and doing more experiential things that they're trying to appeal to a larger, uh, older audience. So teenagers and so forth. And it makes it more interesting because what you, when I talk to locals and you know peers of mine, friends with kids the same age, they don't talk about Disney the same way anymore. So it was interesting the other day, this lady walked up to me. I've known her for a long time. She has kids the same age as mine, all, all of my kids. All of our kids are around the same age. And she says, you're still the Disney guy, right? You still go to the parks. You still enjoy yourself. I'm like, of course. She goes, you know, it's funny how the numbers have been shrinking and I don't have as many people to ask these questions to now that, you know, people are kind of shying away from Disney. She said, here's the question for you. So my son is turning 16. He wants to do something special and he'd like it to be Disney related. Any ideas? And I looked at her for a minute and I was just like, wow, okay. You know, from a from another person who's a regular who really gets it and understands, you know, some of the nature of things. Uh, it was an interesting question because, you know, I started started with the usual lot of things, you know, the, the laundry list of things that you could try. Well, have you, you know, did you go to one of the after hours parties, dessert party, maybe going to, uh, you know, one of the, um, one of the special tours, uh, you know, going on and doing some different things around and maybe go to, you know, do, do Blizzard Beach, you know, put on the birthday button, blah, blah, blah. We tried them all. And she's like, nope, 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 nope. She goes, yeah, I was actually thinking about going universal because we don't usually go there and it might be different. And it was that moment when I realized, you know, I got to come up with something better. Nothing against Universal. I have no issues with it. I think Universal is a fine park, but I'm a Disney guy. And uh, I wasn't going to let that take that lying down and let her say, oh, I'm going to take my son to Universal for something different. We had to come up with something different to do at Disney. So I talked to her for a little while about the behind the steam trains tour that I did and uh, how much fun that was when my son and I did it. And uh, she was really enthused about that. She thought it was a really great idea. The only problem is with the Tron construction that's going on, the Tron roller coaster, there's no way to, uh, the steam trains are not running right now. So they're not doing the behind the steam trains tour. So that doesn't help her for this year for her son. So that left us back to, well, what else could we do? So we batted around some more ideas and, you know, maybe some, some of these parties and other things that are going on, you know, maybe go up to uh, take them up to dinner at the Contemporary, you know, at the top of the world. California Grill. And uh, we just threw around different ideas, but nothing really stood out at us. And that's when we hit upon it. Why not do the Keys to the Kingdom tour? It's a five-hour tour that goes behind the scenes and goes to all different places, takes you into the Utilidors, shows you a little bit more about what the theme park is and how the theme park operations work. He's a geek. He's, you know, he's he's a cool kid. You know, he's 16 and he's really into it. Kind of like my kids in a way, right? loves the idea of the theme parks and what goes on there. And she's like, that's it. That's what I want to do. Now, the the problem for them is the same problem that I have. They're a family of five and it gets expensive and prohibitive to do certain things. If you want to add certain things into what you do, it gets kind of costly. If everyone, if everyone's going to do the Keys to the Kingdom tour, you know, at $200 a person or whatever the actual price is, I think it's 160 something, but whatever. If you're going to do that, it suddenly becomes a very expensive proposition. If you go to the after hours party, same kind of a thing. Everybody gets to do it. So we talked about how she could do the uh, Keys to the Kingdom tour. And then we hit upon something kind of interesting. Her son was turning 16. He would be over 16 at the time that the tour was taking place. The minimum age for the tour is 16 years old. So in fact, he could go by himself. Or maybe he goes with mom or dad. 
but he could go by himself to be able to go on the tour and actually take it on and learn something new without incurring a huge cost. Mom, dad, and the other kids can all go into the park and enjoy themselves and meet up with him when he's done with the tour. And so she set about looking into it. And uh, that was an interesting little nugget there for me because I, it was something different that I didn't anticipate when she said, hey, you know, I need to think of something different to do with my son. When I talk to people and give them suggestions about what they can do, I always try to think about the person and what that person's interests are, where their needs are, and so forth, and try to make suggestions related to that. You know, it's not, each person is an individual, and that's the thing about planning your trip to Disney, is you have to kind of think about what your interests are and what your needs are and the things that you want to do. Like I told my brother when he was coming, I said, you know, one of the things that you like, you should do is you should have everyone write down the top two or three things that they really want to do and then about a half dozen other things that they'd like to do. And that way you can plan your entire trip around the things that everyone wants to do. There'll be some things people have in common, surely. And uh, you can go ahead and plan your trip around those things. And then if you can get in some of the other things, that's great. And sometimes you get really lucky and you get them all in, plus some other things that, that uh, you might be able to do. But you try to plan your trip around each individual so everybody gets a, gets a piece of it. And that's what, makes it, that's what makes it really interesting for me is, you know, you have to think about each individual and what they like. And he likes that kind of stuff. He likes going, you know, seeing behind the scenes. Now, the Keys to the Kingdom tour is not for everyone. I know that. Uh, one of the things about it is it takes you into backstage areas. They show you how they make the magic. And in some cases, the magic is not there. I can remember being a cast member and being backstage. And sometimes the things you would see back there would kind of, I wouldn't say blow your mind because that's not exactly right, but it would they would make you think a little differently about something because the magic is not quite the same offstage as it is on stage. You know, in the, in the theme park area would be on stage. So for some people, seeing the magic or losing the magic, the luster of the magic is hard for them. And for some people, it's, it's just fine. For me, I always enjoyed it because what it takes to make the magic is as important as the magic itself. There is so much that goes on to make that magic. Uh, I think I may have mentioned before on a previous podcast, there was a young lady that came to work in the Emporium when I was there. And she was there for about two weeks and she goes, I can't do this job. And I'm like, why? She goes, because it ruins the magic for me. I want to come and enjoy it. I don't want to be part of the magic. I don't want to see how the magic is made. It spoils it for me. I can't do this job. And she left. And I appreciate where she was coming from because not everyone can see it the same way. When you see it and you actually experience it, it's a different thing than actually uh, just coming into the parks and enjoying the magic. There was an article I read uh, the other day about how the magic is made. And they did a nice job of kind of highlighting some of the things about what happens behind the scenes without giving away too much detail, but how much it takes to keep that magic up from the painters to the landscapers, to the people who hose down the main street, to the people who stock the shelves, to the people who make sure the ride is maintained. You know, all of those things kind of figure in there as a part of uh, actually making sure that, that you have a good experience. My son happened upon a one of these uh, sites where they listed off, it was, you know, funny things that have happened at the Disney theme parks. And, you know, the, some of them were kind of amusing. It was different, you know, kids who had accidents, adults who had accidents. And I'm talking about, you know, uh, accidents with their bodily functions um, while they were standing in line. And, you know, there was the one guy who wound up, well, basically he wound up peeing on himself and uh, while he was on Space Mountain. And all, the first thought I had right after he said that, right after my son told me the story, was... I'll bet you that there was a cast member who was there cleaning it up 
right afterwards so that that car could move on to the next the next uh, person who was going to get on it and they could reuse that car without having to take it offline or anything. So I bet somebody was cleaning it up. That was the first thought I had. Weird thought, I know, but that was what I was thinking of. And then I told him the story about how, you know, there were various times when I had to clean up, throw up or whatever in the store because people were coming in and, you know, things would happen. And there was the time I got thrown up on. You know, somebody just threw up on me and I was like, that's awesome. Things happen. That's the way the world works. And, you know, it's unfortunate, but that's how you make the magic. You know, before I went and cleaned myself up and oh boy, did I clean myself up. I, I think I even took a shower that day. I was, I went down and I just like scrubbed down because it was gross. But before I did that, I made sure that the area that I was standing in was cleaned up and some other people came and helped me too, so that I wasn't leaving a mess and just going, oh, I'm so grossed out. I got to leave. Other people had that happen to them, but I was part of that magic of making sure that no one else noticed. And it, I remember um, talking to someone later in the day who said that there was almost no guests who noticed that the kid threw up on me. Just didn't notice because I cleaned it up and I walked away and that was the end of that, right? And that's part of making that magic. So when you see the magic being made or you experience it, you really see it in a different light. And so when you do the, the Keys to the Kingdom tour or one of these backstage tours and you're around and you're watching things happen, it's a very different experience because you get to see things that most people don't get to see. You go down in the Utilidors and you, uh, you actually see them. They're just concrete walls that are painted. There's the smell of, in some parts of it, there's a smell of garbage that comes because of the way the, the, um, the garbage system works. There's the garbage chutes with the, uh, uh, the air, air vac system that pushes the garbage to one end of the park. So it smells a little bit like garbage in some parts of it. It's kind of gross, but it's really pretty, it's efficient and it makes sure that the guests don't have to see some of that stuff. So there is that. And there's, you know, there's people walking around in various states of, you know, not in their costumes and, you know, it's, it, they're not all the way buttoned up and it doesn't look 100% like it would when you're in the park. And they're just being people and they're doing things. It's just a different experience. So when you go down and you see that kind of a tour, it's, uh, it's really quite, kind of interesting and, and pretty fun. So anyway, back to my, my story, my friend, uh, she was saying that she, that's what she wanted to do. She wanted to take him on the backstage tour. She thought that would be exactly what he wanted for his birthday. And in the meantime, the whole family could go up and spend a few days in the park and just kind of enjoy themselves. They have annual passes just like we do, and they go up, you know, periodically. And uh, actually, they go up a little bit more than periodically. I go up periodically. They go up regularly. But that's okay. You know, everybody has their own way of doing it. And uh, they, they just enjoy going to the parks and, and kind of having some fun with it. Now, you know, there's other, other problems that, they're, that we're all faced with. Um, some of their kids, at least one of their kids doesn't like thrill rides. So it's like my son and myself don't like thrill rides and don't like to do them. They have one uh, daughter who's got a peanut allergy. So they have to be really careful about what foods they eat and what they do. So like things like the dessert party, they're off limits. Can't go to that because uh, there's a, the high risk of having some of them have peanuts in them. And uh, it's just too much work to try and work around it. They know where to eat and what to do now. Uh, but it's still, they have to think about it when it comes to other things that they want to do and making sure that they're in the right environments and planning for the right uh, circumstances for themselves. So they don't have a problem. And, you know, these are the kinds of things that as regulars, they know how to deal with it. But as people coming in for the first time or haven't been there in a long time, it's a challenge. And it really is difficult. You have to kind of do a lot more forethought and planning into making sure that you're in the right place, doing the right things, that there's no surprises, you're not gonna you know, get sick or whatever while you're there. So it's interesting, it's just an interesting perspective. When I was talking to her, I started thinking about things a little more abstractly. 
because I think about things as a true as a true local as a regular you know I, I know how it works I kind of know where I want to go and what I want to do she's the same way but a lot of people don't have that uh, experience and so that's why I'm happy to share with you any experiences that I have and some of the things that I may know and I'm always happy to answer questions I try to get uh, answers to questions out on email as quickly as I can so and then sometimes I'll put them on a podcast when I think that uh, it's a good question that I think is worth coming back to. So the first news item I wanted to talk about was the passing of Dave Smith. Dave Smith was the original Disney archivist. He was the person who was hired and working for the Walt Disney Company, and uh, he was hired shortly before Walt's death. And one of his first assignments was, after Walt died, to go into his office, catalog everything that was in there, and try to clean it out. And what an interesting assignment for a young intern to have, to actually go into Walt Disney's office and try to figure out what in the heck is in there. You know, a million documents, a lot of different things, a lot of half-drawn plans, some different notes about different things. And Dave did a great job of going through and managing all of it. And he became the Disney archivist. He had all this insider information that no one else had. And so he made a job out of it. And his career was to really look at all of these things. Now, I had heard Dave being interviewed in various places on some YouTube videos and some podcasts and so forth. I never had a chance to do that myself, and I never actually met the man. I did meet his successor, Becky Klein, and she's really interesting too, but this was about Dave and his, his interest in the whole Walt Disney Company and preserving the legacy to a large degree. And the thing that happens is when he passes away, now we lose that next connection to Walt. And that's kind of sad in a way. And I, I wanted to express my, you know, my, my thoughts about Dave. I, I really think what he did for the company was really remarkable. In the space of those of us who care about Walt Disney history, he's one of those guys you look to and you say, I'm glad he did what he did. In the same sense of other people who try to pre preserve the history and remember what, what, what the Walt Disney legacy left for us. We've gone a couple of generations beyond that now. And there are some new thoughts about things. Things are very different in the Walt Disney Company, the theme parks and the movie studios. Everything's different. And that's not to say it's a bad thing necessarily. It's just different. It's not what, you know, you can say it this way. It's not what Walt had envisioned. And I know that's kind of cliche because you don't know what Walt envisioned, but you know that things evolved from the time that he was around. And so there's definitely some difference in vision. And it's just kind of sad, and we keep losing members of that legacy, that last connection to Walt Disney, the people that were hired by Walt, the people that were engaged with him. You know, that's kind of the, the sad part about all of it is as history moves on, we lose that connection to history. So hopefully, you know, the things that, to a, a small degree that I'm doing and that other people are doing to kind of preserve the legacy and talk about the history, help preserve that to some degree. And I guess... For me, that's what this podcast became all about. It's sort of like reflecting back into history, why we are where we are and what, how, what got us here. You know, Walt had a vision for what the Walt Disney World Resort would be. Uh, he had this vision for Epcot and this vision for bringing in all kinds of industry and doing all these things and these, these wonderful things for the betterment of society in the long term. And, you know, I don't want to lose sight of that. I'm always reminding my kids that, you know, we can always do more uh, to, to help society by the simple actions we do. And then the simple actions we do hopefully grow into larger actions and then sometimes a company will come along and do something and uh, change the world in, to a small degree. And, you know, all of those things coupled together become a much bigger thing. You know, I'll take, the, uh, I'll take the very small thing of changing from plastic straws to paper straws. What a tremendously influential thing that will be in the long term. Though in the short term, it seems kind of silly and trivial. Why do you get rid of plastic straws? But you think about the big picture and who, who orchestrated that change. It wasn't 
you know, it wasn't government, it wasn't a large company, it was a bunch of small companies deciding that it was time to do something different and make a change. And a lot of activists and people who were out there doing something who wanted to change the world. And so it starts to change in a way. Good, bad, or indifferent, it's always interesting how change starts in a very simple way. So that was my take on the whole thing about the Walt Disney Company and the passing of Dave Smith. And I, I just wanted to pay my respects to uh, to Dave. I thought he was a really interesting guy and glad he did what he did. And I'm, you know, I'm glad that I've been able to see some of the things that he was able to accomplish and hear about them, you know, contemporaneously as they were happening, even though I may not have actually met him. The other story I wanted to tell was a little bit about Disney history and uh, something that happened in 1967 when the Walt Disney Company got the rights from the state of Florida to pretty much be autonomous in the, in the sense of everything that they were doing. Now, I've talked about this a lot that the Walt Disney Company pitched the state to have, you know, pretty much carte blanche to do whatever they wanted in the uh, land area that they contained in the in Orlando. And it's really kind of interesting that, you know, the, the couple of legis pieces of legislation that they put out there to, to foment this idea of Disney being able to control its own property included some very interesting logic. Uh, you know, a little convoluted in some cases and very... Um, specific and helpful to Disney and not necessarily the public at large and certainly not the state of Florida. For instance, the makeup of the, uh, the board that runs the Walt Disney property is all Disney company employees who happen to reside in the two communities that are in uh, Walt Disney World. So uh, the people who run the community board and who run the entirety of the Walt Disney World Resort as members of the Reedy Creek board that manages the entire property, they're all Disney employees. And for a, long, for a long time, the firefighters, who were actually also technically Disney employees, but are also firefighters in the state of Florida, wanted a seat on that board to be able to help control some of the things that are happening. But based on the way the, the legislation, legislation was written, they didn't have a seat on the board. So the state of Florida is aiming to change that, and they want to actually add firefighters to that board of directors, uh, that community board that would actually run the property. And it may change the control a little bit and the controlling interest. Well, the interesting thing is when you peel back that layer of the onion, when the legislators started looking at this law, they're like, there's some other things we could take on too. And they have some other minor adjustments they want to make to make it more favorable to the state and a little bit less to Disney. And one thing that they actually want to take away is the ability to create a nuclear power plant on site. Disney has that right to be able to do that if they want to. And several legislators are saying, well, that's a really bad idea. We shouldn't give them that right. The thing that they kind of forget about is the fact that owning a nuclear power plant requires many more regulatory hurdles, many more things that you have to do in the federal government. So being able to create one, yes, having the ability to create one and the, you know, not having to go through the state review board is all fine and dandy. But the federal review is a much bigger thing, and it's unlikely the, the federal government would ever let them do it. Nevertheless, the state would like to change that and control it themselves and decide if Disney can or can't do it. Now, of course, Disney has shown no interest in doing that from the day that they got that piece of legislation in 1967 until today. So, in fact, they've been looking at renewable energy and looking at other sources of energy to, uh, to better supplement their, their energy needs in the parks. And to that point, go back to what I was saying before about how companies can control the future to a large degree by some of the things that they do and some of the things they choose to do. Disney, being a large service provider, they could buy electricity from all over the state, have in the past, or they could lease out some of their land to create giant solar farms 
it's a little complicated, but they can actually buy the energy from the companies that they're leasing the land to. And then those companies can sell whatever excess energy they have back to the state to go into the grid. So it, there's an interesting win-win-win for everybody just because Disney decides that it's time to put solar panels on its property. So you think about that and you realize that there's a, a different thought process being given to it. And nuclear power is not really an option for them. It doesn't make sense. At the time in 1967, who knows, it might have. But today, it makes more sense for them to use renewable energy and use some of their land accordingly. So it's an interesting thing that happens here that Disney is, has control over their land and they've done generally some pretty good things. The mitigation pieces they've done and some of the things where they bought and sold land to try and keep environmentally sensitive areas the way they were. You can make the case that was kind of hit or miss. They haven't done maybe the greatest job there, but they did an adequate job and they met the letter of the law. So you could take that and you could say, overall, I think Disney has managed their property pretty well. You know, they have some innovative things that they're doing and they're still thinking forward and trying to do some things that other companies, other communities are not doing. You look around and you look at the landscape of all the communities in Florida and there are very fewer, few that are very forward thinking in terms of what they're doing for energy consumption, waste disposal, land use, all of those things, very different sort of thought process. So I give Disney a lot of credit for doing that in the right way. So there you go. The current legislative body of the state of Florida is trying to change and take back a little bit of control from Disney. This fight is far from over and I guarantee you that Disney will use some of its lobbying power to try not to let any of the rules change. We'll let a few change just because the nature of it is you have to give and take a little bit with the legislature in order to get some of the other things you want. But it's interesting the way they, they think this through. So just wanted to share that with you. I thought that was really kind of an interesting thing that the state of Florida has an opportunity to perhaps change the way the law looks around Disney a little bit and uh, kind of let things evolve a little more organically. And again, losing that connection to Walt Disney in 1966 when he died and 67 when the, when the legislature wrote the rules, now we have an opportunity to see things evolve again. Just interesting to me. I find that sort of stuff fascinating and I just wanted to share it. Well, there you go. That is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company.